The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. Whether you're sharing business stories or personal stories, the stories you share say a lot about who you are. And even more importantly, the stories you share about other people say even more about who you are. So as we jump into this next episode of the podcast, I'd like to remind you that these stories are the kind of stories that will share who this person is, but also will unlock the stories of your experiences and maybe the people around you. So listen closely and enjoy. Kev Ham is joining me today on the podcast, and we've known each other for a long, long time, probably almost 20 years, um, early from when I moved to Helena from Washington, D.C. And uh, I invited him to be on the podcast because he is running for office this year. And I don't usually have political candidates on my podcast, not because I don't want to support them, but because usually their stories um, lead directly into something very political. And while I'm a big believer in sharing what your beliefs are, I also believe that people need to know who these people are. And if they have a strong agenda in a conversation, we're going to miss out on that opportunity. And I promise you, whatever you hear coming out of Kev Ham's mouth is not going to be related to an agenda. It will be related to exactly what he's thinking in the moment because he is unapologetic. And this is part of what we love about him. Kev, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. <laughs> thanks for having me, Sarah. Um, yeah, un- unapologetic, whatever, whatever comes out of my mouth. That's a dangerous position to be in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it's part of what makes you stand out, of course. And it's also, um, I think it's part of what is inspiring to people who have had similar experiences to yours and haven't had the courage or the support, the network to be able to do what you're doing, or they might not realize that they have that. So uh, that's yeah. part of why I introduced you that way is because that's, it's a big part of what inspires. So um, let's just start because I know we're going to laugh for the majority of this conversation, <laughs> which I'm looking forward to because I need a good belly laugh. Um, so I'm going to start the way that I like to start these conversations, which is by asking you to share something with me and our listeners about you that most people might not know. And the reason I ask this question, my listeners already know this, is because I love to give um, more depth to the conversation. People are complicated. And one of the things I think we're really missing because of the ridiculous, um, as my friend Amber Johnson calls it, freezing people in time through one interaction online or one story that somebody hears about a person, um, other people for some reason immediately have a judgment and a decision to make about them without any context and without knowing all the rest of this person's history. Whatever great things they did it disappear and, or whatever bad things they did disappear all based on one interaction. So I would love to hear what you come up with about something that most people don't know about you, because I know you're kind of an open book. Uh, kind of an open book, but I'll give you one. There's a lot of people that do know this one, but it's really old and it's kind of spectacular in and of itself. Um, I was a member of the Helena Boy Choir in the 80s, um, which was one of the first boy choirs in the state. It was pretty well done and pretty well re- renowned. And at the time, Governor Schwinden, I think it was Governor Schwinden. God, I hope it was Governor Schwinden. <laughs> um, <laughs> had just started the sister state program with Kumamoto in Japan. And so I uh, joined a choir and discovered my love of sushi uh, because oh. we ended up going to Japan. So <gasps> when I was a kid. And it's really fun to think about uh, being a an ambassador for the state of Montana going over when you're, you know, 12 years old or 11 years old, however old. Wow. 11. Middle school. Um, yeah. And going over and uh, 
you know, being in front of the uh, uh, aristocracy, the uh, imperial family and all that in Japan, you know, performing and being a soloist and doing homestays and meeting all these people and having this incredibly intense, um, delightful introduction to how vast and different our world is, how diverse things are um, when you're a kid and finding out that, you know, some of the things that are common in other cultures, we never even hear of. Like at the time, I don't think I had a sushi restaurant in the state of Montana. And I remember the first time I had sushi, I was like, this is amazing. Uh, <laughs> I really wanted to stay in Japan. Um, I was also taller than everybody, like day one, 11 year old kid towering over everybody. So it was, it was an interesting <laughs> experience. And it's one of those things where, you know, you're you're young enough that you're pliable mentally to accept kind of everything in front of you, but you're also old enough to kind of bank it and and process how it is, how these other cultures work and how you interface with them. And it became kind of the calling card of who I am, how I deal with different cultures, how I deal with different people at different times is, you know, finding the common ground between us. And so there's this moment in my life that is just a spectacular memory, but it also informs every day of what I do. So it's really right. fun. And I, I never learned to speak Japanese. I can only count to um, uh, Willie because uh, Ichidi Sanchi, one, two, three, four. And then one of the kids in choir, his name was Willie. He would never respond because we were supposed to count off and then we'd have to go find him. So everybody knows Ichidi Sanchi, Willie. That is not how my memory <laughs> system works. It's kind of like so, the, the person who uh, they, their dog thinks that their name is Oh Shit. Or, yeah, know, exactly. Kind of <laughs> exactly. Come here. <laughs> exactly. exactly. My dog's so, name is come here. <laughs> yes. And I can, I can count to four, but not five in Japanese. And the reason is because of my friend, Willie Sewell, who didn't make it back in time all the time to the choir stuff. But that was one of those interesting things because, um, you know, not to get too political, but I grew up in a Republican household and I'm very much a progressive and you deal with how do those things interface. And part of it comes from my parents taught me the world was far more vast and diverse than they had been taught. And so I see it through uh-huh. a lens that they gave me, but they don't have, which is wow, also a really fun thing. Well, that that makes so much sense. I'm so glad you shared that with me because I, I had no idea about that experience in your life. And I've known you a while and we're both musicians. So, you know, it's something that could have come up, but it never did. And well, it's um, also choir. I mean, you're in right. a band, you're a rock star. And I was like, no, we're singing some <laughs> Brahms over here. <laughs> oh, I did choir. I was classically trained. I didn't start oh, nice. singing in a rock band until I was 40. I'd never nice. done that before. So the other thing that it reminded me of, I I just love the way you just described how your parents raised you with this perspective that they weren't raised with. And so whether it was intentional, I'm assuming it was intentional or at least in some way intentional. I remember my mom trying, trying to raise me as a confident, independent woman. And she didn't have any of that. And some of it was sticky, obviously. The the independent part was really sticky, but the confidence didn't come till much later, like in my 30s. So I love that you just said that because I bet a lot of our listeners have parents like that. And we get so frustrated with them because they're not demonstrating what they want us to be. Right. And well, it's one of those things where you you look back on your life with your parents and you go, okay, so you taught me to be this way and now you're upset that I'm this way. Right. Um, and what it is, is they're upset because they, they literally don't have the lens. And on some level, they know they don't have the lens. They just don't realize that they should be thinking about, oh, the lens should be here. I should maybe ask about this. And part of that <laughs> is time and stress and all the other things that go into living our lives. And then there's always that moment also, you know, because we're full-fledged adults now, there's just the conflict of, oh, you're going your own way. It's like, yeah, but this is the path that you laid out in front of me. So right. just right. FYI, if you don't like it, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think some of it is they, well, I could tell you as a parent of 20-somethings that it's really hard to hear stuff like that from your kid. I mean, it'd be different if your friend said, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I know we were raised the same way, but this is this is what I'm thinking of now. 
or you can't say that when something racist or uh, anti-Semitic comes out of their mouth. When a friend, a peer says, you can't say that, it's so different coming from them than it is from your kids saying, dad, you can't say that. You can't use that language, right? Um, I, I think mean, we so. might say it, but the- it's hard to hear. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't had really those conversations with my parents in a long time. When I came out, there was, um, you know, there were a couple of difficult conversations that happened just because they didn't know anything about the queer community, but I didn't know anything either. So it wasn't like I was handing them a book and going, this is the thing, this is who I am now. Um, So there were some interesting years where it was like, no, you don't get me. And I don't know how to explain it to you because I don't understand it yet. Uh, Um, Those were the more more complicated conversations when it came to things like I look at my parents and they're and I tell them they're not allowed to say that anymore. um, That's always a fun time, but I haven't really had those. Uh I mean, I had those with my grandfather. There um, at one point, my grandfather he he was like, "Are you dating a black boy?" And I'm like, "Oh God, (laughs) I need you." to not use that term um, but he got it and it was like you know just right. be careful because there's know. connotations that right. right well and there are connotations that he didn't understand mostly because he had never i mean he'd grown up in the south his family's from the south um so there was a lot of racism that was in that and he while he didn't intend it to be anyway and wasn't using it as a derogatory it was mostly because he still referred to me as a boy at the time because it was early right. 20s which is fair, but I had to have that conversation with him. And he was like, okay, I get it. But is he black? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, I just wanted to know. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad you don't have a problem with that. And we moved on. So I, I, I guess I really haven't had that situation where I've had to tell my parents that they're in the wrong place. Like I've never heard them use the N word. I've never heard them use the R word. Mm -hmm. They haven't been anti-Semitic. My dad's very conservative. The only bad things he considers uh, like he'll yell about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like if you want to see him bark, bark at the wall, you could just watch past it, walk past him and go Hillary and he'll do it. But, um, but otherwise they're pretty calm about stuff. And when, you know, when we disagree on politics, we'll get into details pretty quickly, but you know, once it gets past the point where we're actually in any sort of space to change each other's minds or, or make a point with each other, we generally end the conversation before that go on to have dessert. So it's fine. Yeah, I'm sure that um, you could share a lot of interesting stories around that that also would definitely resonate with our listeners right now more <laughs> yeah. than more than ever. I mean, there was a time where we could have these conversations and it wouldn't get quite so um, toxic, I guess. But there's there's always been that toxicity in families, right, um, when it comes to politics. Well, when it comes to politics, religion, or, you know, what you're wearing, it comes down to all of these things. And there's Mm -hmm. the whole, I am an adult, even though I am your child, um, and you will respect me, and you will treat me like an adult, or I will treat you like a child, and that will be uncomfortable for everybody. Um, (laughs) So there's a lot of that tit for tat that can happen with it. But for the most part, I mean, I get along with them, and everything's pretty cool. I, (laughs) I do think it's funny, though, when I watch some of my friends deal with their parents, that are fully toxic and they're like, I don't understand how you deal with this with your parents. I'm like, I wouldn't. My parents pulled that shit. I'd be off my chain. In an instant. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, it's a thing. I hear that. Well, let's, um, let's come back to this whole spending time in Japan at 10, 11 years old and how it has informed your, your current um, perspective, your current lens um, when it comes to the the building of community that you've been doing for decades here in Montana. And starting with when you, um, you started to tell me a story before, oh gosh, a few weeks ago when we were talking and I said, oh, you need to get on my podcast so we could talk about this. And it was about um, the Pride Parade and mm-hmm. what happened for you to end up being the the face of that parade, that the organizer of that. Can you tell me a little bit, first of all, start with that part of the story of how that happened, and then maybe think about how your experience in Japan informed how you approached the whole thing. Uh, interesting. Um, well, 
2014 is when I started running uh, what at the time was Big Sky Pride. It's now Montana Pride um, because the Montana Pride Network, which had done Pride before then, collapsed. They had no money. They didn't have anybody that was willing to do the event. So they had put out in April of 2014, hey, Pride isn't happening this year. We're really sorry. Um, And my friend Tom reached out to me. He's like, Pride will happen. We need to do it. I'm like, okay. So I formed a 501c3. I registered the the domain. I got the website up. I dealt with some people in Butte. Tom dealt with a bunch of people in Butte to make it happen. I stopped over at the Capitol and went into the governor's office and asked him if he would speak at Pride. And he said, yes. And uh, that was the first time a sitting governor in Montana had spoken at Pride. Wow. The old Pride Network, the way it used to work is they would, and this started in the, in 93 was the first year Montana had a Pride. And the way they set it up kind of rolled out in the 95, 96 years. And what they would do is they would go between the seven major cities in Montana, they would do two years there. So the old organization would move it to the new city, help form a new organization, and they would do the first year, which would always be terrible because there wasn't a lot of institutional knowledge that went with it. And the second year would be great, but then that second year, that group would then have to pass it on to a new city. But it also meant that you're looking at 14 to 16 years before you get pride back in your city. Cause there was only one pride in the state and it was that one when they collapsed, it was in the middle of that cycle in Butte. So they had done 2013 in Butte and it had been out in the flats and a bunch of us went, it was super fun. It was actually the second pride that I had been to in Montana. I started going in 2012. I missed the 2011 one. Cause I was out of state. I don't remember why. Um, and same with 2010. Uh, but 2012, I was in uh, Bozeman. It was awesome. 2013, I was in Butte, had a blast. 2014, it, they collapsed and they're like, we're not going to have pride. And we're like, yes, we will. <laughs> we're all about this. So um, we set it up, got it all done, set up the parade, had the events, had a bunch of businesses join in. It was super successful. Everybody had fun. And then we let everybody know, hey, we are going to follow the pattern. So we're going to Missoula next year. Um, but we also decided that we were only going to do one year in each town because at that point, we were looking around and I was like, there's no reason that we only have one pride. So let's do this in such a way so that we're moving faster between the towns, but hopefully the organizations that we partner with, that we kind of build there, can take it upon themselves to build something up. So we did uh, Missoula in 2015, 2016 in Great Falls, 2017 in Billings. 2018, we came to Helena. 2018, Billings continued on. So it took a couple of years to do it, but all of a sudden Billings kicked it in gear. So we had a second pride. And I, I remember getting a couple of phone calls. Are you upset that they're doing a pride? I'm like, no, I'm happy they're the doing point. a pride. <laughs> exactly. Right. I want more of them. And then that next year, no, no, that same year, that was both also 2018. Um, the Flathead group started their pride. So there ended up being three that year. And then because those two had happened, I went to our major funders and I asked, hey, is it okay if we just stay in Helena for this? Um, and we couldn't call ourselves Montana Pride because the trademarks were still held by the 501c3 that failed, which the IRS was dealing with. Um, and it was 2018, 19 before we could get them back. So we, we changed back to Montana Pride at that yeah. point. Um, and mostly because we want to have a pride in Big Sky at some point which we're hoping to get done in the next year or two. And that would be a, a much better use of the name Big Sky Pride because it's a place. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, so we changed the name back to Montana Pride and we decided to stay in Helena and, you know, we kind of worked through the pandemic. So the pandemic was weird because we had done the former felons ball, but then we couldn't have pride that year. And then our lockdown on the, you know, rules against big groups gathering continued through when we would have the former felons ball, but then we had pride. So it was like the pride year was just two years long and instead. So it was a little bit odd for our funders. It was odd for everybody that was involved. And it was kind of exciting to have everything play out the next year where we got to have, you know, everything in place. But because of that stretch, everybody was so excited to have a pride. So Missoula got their act together. They've got a pride. Great Falls has a pride going on now. Anaconda, Butte, Lewiston, no, Livingston. Where else? Red Lodge. I and mean, anyway, we we now have 12 prides going on. So Bozeman has one starts in May and it goes through August. Um, and, you wow. know, it's it's fantastic that we have all these things going on. So the thing that we really wanted to do, which is make sure that 
our visibility is up all the time. It kind of happens because now it starts with former felons and Helena in February, and it literally goes through Montana pride happening in Helena again uh, in August, but it has every city in between. So it's super well, fun. Let's uh, there are a lot of listeners here that are from all over the world. So they mm-hmm. may not understand what we're talking about in terms of what pride is. It's, it's, um, uh, so if you could just briefly explain what the event is that you're talking about and all is so our listeners have a better idea of what this is. Sure. Um, well, Pride is a celebration of the LGBTQIA community. So we get together to celebrate all of the wins we've had in fighting for equality, trying to make things better in the world for us. Um, and it gives us a chance to take a break from those fights and just celebrate who we are. And um, it's it's another one of those things where when I was a kid, I started to recognize, oh, there are different cultures. They have different meanings. They have different outlooks. They have all these different things. And as I became an adult and realized that I was part of a community that is different, has a different outlook, um, voices things differently, does things differently, and is generally more okay than the straight community. You people are weird. I don't know what's happening with you. But... <laughs> uh, but it's that moment, uh, you know, where we celebrate who we are. And, you know, there's a lot of people uh, that are more conservative or fundamentalist that tend to be like, why do you have to shove it in our face? Like, we would love to not have to. But every time we're quiet, we get erased. So we have to be loud to remind people that we're here. And we have to be loud in such a way that we're visible to all of our friends who sometimes forget that we exist, not intentionally, but because when a situation gets complex or they get stressed out, we fall off the radar really quick. And so pride is one of the ways that we do that. So there are pride celebrations that literally happen all over the world. Almost every major city in the world has them. Um, and sometimes they have them where it's still illegal to be gay, you know, and they're still fighting for their right to live, which is a distressing fact. Uh, but you have these celebrations and they're for us. Um, I love pride in, in Montana because no matter which one you go to, whether it's Missoula or Billings, Great Falls, Helena, whatever it is, um, we're very welcoming to the straight community, but it is not your celebration. We're happy you're there, but it's ours. And so celebrate with us and you'll be fine. Try to take the celebration and make it about you. And we're going to have a moment. So, but yeah, I had no. an experience with that this year, this past <laughs> year, when I got to walk behind um, uh, Zoe Zephyr on the oh, parade yeah. route, holding your campaign banner with my sister. We both had Montana Pride t-shirts on um, and we were waving, but mostly we were just holding that banner. <laughs> and, and I, Which was awesome some, and much appreciated. <laughs> oh, thank you. It, it was fun. And I... My sister and I acknowledge that from the moment we stood, we're like, we don't belong in this parade. We're not, I mean, this isn't our celebration. But then my sister said, well, we are just kind of doing a job here. We're making sure that this banner is held, that it's visible. So we that's how we talked it through. But I, I think it is, that's a really important point. So I, I appreciate your making that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, coming into, I think, yeah. You know, I moved to Portland and after I had come out here in Montana, Portland, Oregon, college. Yeah. Portland, Oregon. And um, had a great community out there because the community already exists. I was, you know, already over 21 when I moved there. So even though I had been doing this coming out process in, you know, steps in Montana, once I got out there, I was like, "Mm, I'm out. No big deal. My parents knew it wasn't an issue. And the community there was so robust that it was just basically join us. I'm like, okay, this is perfect. And, um, but I didn't really understand that it was a separate community from straight people because I was still so immersed in straight people all throughout the day. And I wasn't doing anything where I'm specifically focusing on the community and doing uplift work. Um, I didn't really become an activist when I was in Portland. Um, I had a lot of the uh, centrist uh, white people wrapped in privilege kind of handed to me with, I don't understand why we have pride. And I was like, cause it's fun, but I kind of get where you're coming from. And then I moved to Phoenix and Phoenix has a pride and it's awesome, but Phoenix is much more conservative. And so you ended up with trying to put pride together. And I was writing for a magazine at the time and 
Um, just, you know, working with a bunch of people who on a regular basis were probably okay, but sometimes were a little bit conservative or fundamentalist. And then they'd have to deal with me being this huge old queen. And uh, it, it, it sparked some conflicts that I just didn't expect and had to work through, which was kind of the like, oh, I, it's, you know, there's a degree of separation from our community and the straight community in our culture. And uh, those degrees of separation are in some ways vast and in some ways really small, but they're, they're specific things. And uh, Phoenix was really where I figured out that some of those uh, differences actually matter in, in, in impressive and unexpected ways. When I moved to Caribou, Maine, which was the next place I went, you know, I've, I've gone from a city of 6 million to a, a city of 6,000, um, slightly different, um, when I was uh, interviewing for the job, I told the CEO, I was like, look, I'm out and gay and I'm not going to be quiet or go back in the closet. So if that's going to be a problem, just let me know. I won't take the job. And he was like, if it's a problem for anybody, it'll be a problem for them and we'll deal with it. You're more than welcome. I was like, great. But the joke that I had when I was there is like, uh, I'd be walking down the street. People ask if it's a gay pride parade. I'm like, nope, I'm just getting groceries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's um, just me. <laughs> exactly just me um but the, the truth of the it's matter to was make a parade was, out of one person <laughs> eh, you get some glitter you'll be fine yeah um but the truth of the matter is i found a thriving and robust queer community up there as well um and it was really interesting to see that this community that i knew existed in major metropolitan areas because portland and phoenix had given me that also exists in these little tiny towns where people on a regular basis are like, I'm going to move to the big city because I can't be here. Oh, <laughs> and then they move away. And, uh, but there were some that were still there and wanted to live there and really loved it. And that was part of the realization that I was like, Oh, my community, the queer community crosses every other boundary, whether it's racial or societal or economic, we're everywhere. And because we're everywhere, we have community everywhere. And that took me a little bit to figure out. But once I figured it out, I was like, oh, I can move back to Montana because my community exists. And when I came back, I found them right away and fell in with them and they were great. And then, you know, four years after I moved, well, not even four years. Uh, yeah. So six years after I moved back, I'm all of a sudden in charge of pride and I've been running it for a decade now. And it's uh, one of the biggest ways to build community is to invite people out and say, hey, here's people you should know. Here are the people that are movers and shakers and trying to do good things, and they're here to have fun, and you can have a communication. You can sit down and chat with them. You can see them at a show. You can talk to them, whatever it is. And building those bridges and connections that you get to do with people builds our community faster. And now that we've got 12 prides happening across the state, those opportunities for my community to reach other parts of the community mm -hmm. are exponentially easier to do. So, so it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think a lot about community and even in a, a recent podcast that I recorded, we talked again about community finding, finding the people who um, really get you and support you. I, I talk a lot about the difference, the distinction between fitting in and belonging, because those are really, really different things. And what mm -hmm. just popped into my head about realizing that you have community anywhere you go, you just have to find them. I felt that way about the Jewish community, even though I've never been a particularly religious person. When I went to Australia to study abroad, it happened to be right around the the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah on Yom Kippur, the two biggest holidays of the year. They're like the Christmas and Easter of the Jewish traditions. And mm -hmm. um, what I'm remembering is that I went into town from the campus at Brisbane at the University of Queensland and happened upon the synagogue in downtown Brisbane. And they, of course, welcomed me in. And as I heard the the services and the the prayers, all the tunes were familiar to me. And even though I wasn't looking for a religious or even spiritual connection, having people that were familiar, that had that familiarity, half the world, half the globe away from my family was really comforting. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then the other side of it is there's there's that moment when you interface with new cultures and diverse situations. Like with Japan, it was very much we got prepped before we went, so we had a we had a class. We learned a little bit about how to ask for things. We learned how to be polite in their culture, what their expectations are, what you're going to do. Um, they have an interesting tradition that they give gifts to people who come to their house, which is exactly backwards to us. Um, mm-hmm. But if you refuse it, you're rude. So don't do that. Take the gift. You know, you can exchange a gift Say thank later. you. Right. Be gracious. Exactly. Say thank you. Have a good time. Um, but those are the cultural things that you have to have, you know, somebody who's been there and understands so that you don't make those little mistakes that can blow up into big problems. Um, but then when you come back to the United States, and this comes back to something that I just did this last year as I've been running my campaign, I was invited up to um, Fort Peck um, with Lance Four Star to meet the tribal council up there. And I've never met a tribal council. I didn't know anything about it. And I had a little anxiety going into it because I'm like, I don't want to come across as rude. I don't want to come across as a fool. I don't know what I'm doing. So I kept asking Lance what he probably thought were ridiculous questions, but he's a very kind man. And he he explained what was going on, you know, what was happening with the different groups. Um, but one of the things that I did with the tribal council, I mean, we talked for a little bit. They asked me, but I, I asked, they asked me a bunch of questions about who I am, what I'm going to do, what my plans are, blah, blah, blah. And we can have that conversation. But what I did is I asked them, what do they need? And apparently that's not common. But how else do you interface with a culture that's so vastly different? And this is the thing that I was telling another friend of mine. I was like, look, I went to tribal lands and I went to an event that they have going on. I got to do a sweat tent with them and I was meeting them in their space, in their culture, fully immersed with no expectations from my side of how it should be. And because of that, I got to see amazing things. But at the end of the day, their culture is just as different from ours as Japanese culture is. Mm-hmm. Yet they're right here. And I don't and know how many people in Montana. Tribes, even among the oh, different yeah. tribes, their culture differences it's not like all native american tribes even within the state of montana have the same things it's yeah oh, no, so very much so that's hard but but when you realize that you've had the missed opportunity of these cultures are literally a drive up the road now mind you we're in montana so a drive up the road is eight hours but still right a drive up the road <laughs> to learn meet be immersed in and part of this culture and and start to understand it on a very base level of humanity. We have those opportunities Mm -hmm. in front of us right here in Montana, and we don't take the opportunity. We don't take advantage of them in, in the ways that we could, which would help with things like tribal relations, growth, economics, all the things that the tribes need, all the things that the rest of us need in order to flourish and survive and thrive rather than just survive. And we've got them here. So there's a lot of, huh, we could be doing these things. We should probably figure them out. So that's that's one of the things that I think is is very interesting and that we should hopefully be uh, getting some better insight in in the coming years. I'm hoping for, I mean, it always blows my mind when I discover something and it's, and it's literally the moment of such obviousness that I'm like, oh, you've been dumb the entire time, Kev. Get it together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it dumb. I would... I would also say, wow, um, this whole idea, you just kind of set my head spinning. The idea that we have access to these different cultures, I mean, easy access. And we, most of us know someone who either grew up on one of the reservations or has family on one of the reservations where we even have access to a person that could take us there so we don't feel quite so out of place so that we can be open to learn and curious to learn. Cause I think you need that comfort in order to step out of your comfort zone, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you're right. We have all this access and I'm, I'm kind of sitting here beating myself up, realizing I haven't really taken advantage of that. And I am all about travel and exploration to grow my brain, to make me a right. better human and I have this access, right? I've been, I just went to France in December of 23 to explore this other culture that's so different from ours. And we've got and, eight tribal lands in the state and right. I think 15 different tribes yes, are made up in I them. Have, 
And I have done a little exploration because I worked for the university system. So I interacted with the tribal colleges when we were working on the transfer initiative to improve transfer for students across our state. Um, so mm-hmm. I did get to meet and interact with people and, and go to a couple of the, the tribal colleges, but I'm still kind of kicking myself. And I'm wondering how many of us miss that opportunity, even across town. Like if we're missing oh, yeah. it two, three, four hours away from us, what about how many people have been to the the old synagogue that's now the Montana Jewish Project since they opened a couple of years ago? I haven't even gone in there. But that's, I'm not the audience for that necessarily, because <laughs> I know about <laughs> Judaism. But I mean, we have all this access, and yet we're going to Europe, we're, you know, we're exploring Mexico, we're going up to Canada to explore these new cultures and different things that we haven't explored before, when we have this right next door. It, it, right. it just is kind of flooring me right now thinking about that. <laughs> My well, own but it's, it... limitations, as well as understanding how many people get so, so narrowly focused, because they don't explore these other cultures. Well, the myopathy of not exploring other things is usually a personal choice. But one of the things I think is interesting is realize that you were interfacing with tribal lands, but you were doing it through the specific lens of the university system, which would necessarily limit what you're trying to do. Because you're mm-hmm. you're literally trying to interface something from our culture into their culture, but in a way that's still our culture. So you you're going to put up mental roadblocks to to be able to do your job. So it's it's not surprising to me that you now realize that you were in that situation because I look at how I was when I was when before I came out, how I was starting the whole process of coming out and picking up new pieces of who I am and how I see the world, and those were uncomfortable moments, but also the best moments. But those required my time, my energy, my focus. And when you're doing a job for someone else, I don't know that you would have that ability. But now, okay, so now you know that there's these, you know, you've always known the cultures were there, but now you know, oh, hey, we can go explore them. I will hook you up with Lance so that you can go up and check out some of the stuff that they do because it's amazing. And you would have a blast. Um, I would love to. So, you know, these are the things that... it's easy to build, you know, I'm one of those people where everybody thinks that I just love burning bridges, but the truth of the matter is it's easy to build bridges as well. Um, with good people, good intentions, and some time and energy, you can build bridges into these cultures that are different than yours, but that you have common ground with, that you can move forward with, that you can help, that you can support, that you can help grow. And um, I find it really interesting that most of the people that I know that if they left the United States as kids and went anywhere, whether it was to go to California or if it was to go to France or Germany, Japan, whatever, um, if they got that when they were kids, they tend to be more, uh, whether they realize it or not, more expressive towards building those bridges to people that aren't from their culture because the shock of the culture shock doesn't really exist. Like mm-hmm. I've never been in a situation as, as an adult where I've come across another culture and been like, huh? totally didn't expect that. And now I'm uncomfortable. That just doesn't happen. And part of that is because, you know, and Japan is such a different culture than ours. Like everything about it is different, but because I had an interaction with that, I know that all of those things that are different means that everybody else has the possibility to be everything different again, because very quickly became, Oh, I don't have to know everything to meet someone. So when we went up to the tribal lands, it's like, I'm not going to know anything about the culture. I just don't want to screw it up. So I'm going to ask questions. And I love asking questions where people are like, are you literally asking everything? I'm like, yes, I want to know. Can I use a spoon or do I need something else? I know that sounds dumb, but I don't know your culture. So tell me well, what it is. You don't want to be and... insulting. I mean, that's the worst part. Right. Well, it's not only that you don't want to be insulting, but in a lot of cases, I don't know that it would be insulting. They would just look at you like, oh, you're not trying to be like us. And I want to try to be like them when I'm on their lands, in their place, in their house. I want to fit in. I want to belong. I don't just want to be there. Um, And, you know, there's not, you know, I did a sweat. They have four doors on the sweat. So there's four times that you enter the sweat tent. I did one and I... (laughs) It was so hot. Um, 
they were singing and chanting and it was a call and response, which is great because I can I can echo back whatever anybody says. I don't know the words, but I can do okay. it. And that was the only thing that let me get through that first door because it was so hot. I thought <laughs> I was going to die. And so I'm singing along and Jesse Mullen was with us and we get out after the first story and he's like, were you singing? I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you know the words? I'm like, no. And then I asked Lance, did I sing it wrong? He's like, no, it's like you knew everything. I'm, okay. So the whole mimicking well, stuff in choir works. really helps. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Having that background really helps. Yeah. Wow. And so... You know, I'm not the one thing I would tell anybody who's going into a new culture. Don't be afraid to ask everything. Like, ask the question that seems a little weird that you're like, "Oh, I can't ask that." You absolutely can. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's one funny story in Japan. I asked. Uh, we were at a concert, and I really had to go to the bathroom. And I went into the restroom, and they didn't have uh, a normal toilet. They had the floor holes that they use, which is their constant thing, but I had never used them. I had never seen them. I didn't know anything about them. And I was too embarrassed to ask. So I just, I I am going to hold it. And I did. It was fine. It wasn't that big of a trauma. But then the next time we were at some place where this was the only option, I pulled somebody aside. I was like, could you please tell me how this works? And he's like, actually, let me show you. And there's a diagram on the wall that's under the, the, he pulled out. He's like, here's what you need to know. It's like, oh, okay. Now I got it. But right. I was literally like, all I'm going to do is like, either fall over or fall in. <laughs> and I, was, <laughs> I was terrified of it. And, and I didn't have somebody to ask in the first situation. So when I did have somebody to ask, I asked and I felt weird. Mm. And there was a little bit of, you know, how do you not know how to use a toilet? Seems like an odd thing for a 10 year old or 11 year old. But it's also this is not the toilet I'm used to. Right. Um, and that's okay. You have those situations. We went out to dinner with a, a bunch of dignitaries and, uh, you know, of course, everybody's eating with chopsticks and everything's going on. My little sister was with us. She had not mastered chopsticks yet. And this little old lady that was next to her that was probably an ambassador's wife or something, just, you know, one of these elites leads over and hands her a fork. <laughs> and it was Aww. great. She was fine. You know, and it, but it's that's those so things sweet. of... I'm in an uncomfortable situation. I don't know how to do this. Can I use tools that I'm used to or will that insult anybody? And they were fine with it, but you didn't know unless you asked. And asking is so much greater. Like you will learn so many things by asking what you consider the dumb questions in your life. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. So especially when you're dealing with other cultures, it gives them a chance to talk about the things that they love. Absolutely. And I, I I would have um, two perspectives on that. One is, as a Jewish person in Montana, anyone can ask me any question about Judaism. I am perfectly happy to answer it. And there is no stupid question when it comes to asking me. These. I would much rather be asked than people make an assumption. Though, But I have had the experience with people from different cultures or um, just different belief systems, different experience, lived experience, where um, they really are insulted when you ask them a question that you could easily have Googled to get an answer that you could easily have looked up somehow easily. So I'm not insulted by that, but there are people who are. And I think it's part of this whole asking questions has to be paying attention to the person in front of you, having some sense of who they are. Right. And I don't mean to be clear, you know, there's this thing that happens and I get affected by it sometimes when it's the queer community, when people are asking questions about the queer community and I'm like, this, I'm not getting paid for this. I don't have the time for this. Google is free. Those aren't the situations I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're in a situation with a culture uh, and you don't have a way out and you know, it would be rude to open up your phone. That's when you ask these questions and you don't have to like stop the procession. Just, you know, tip to one person that you trust that, you know, because generally you're not there. Like, it's not like you got picked up by a helicopter and dropped into this new (laughs) culture and you have to figure it out. You're there with someone. Turn to that person and go, hey, I have a question when you have a moment. And then ask it. And then if you find out, this is the other thing. If you find out that you've done something that will have been interpreted as rude, find a way to apologize. Ask them, how do I apologize? I did not mean that. I did not know. Right. Because usually what will happen is the other person will go, we know you didn't know. We know you didn't mean it. Here's how you do it. Fine. And then you learn. And those are building bridges. I can tell you that I am not perfect. I am very clumsy. I have things that go wrong. Um, But learning to apologize, learning to accept that, hey, I may have screwed this up, but I didn't intend to. How do I make it better? 
generally people are going to be really, really receptive to that. And they're going to help you fix it because they want to have their culture celebrated by outside their culture. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing greater in my world than when we have pride go on and I have a whole group of people on the side of the street that I've known since I was five years old that gave me hell in high school, but they're here now watching the parade with their families, cheering us on, having a great time. And these were people who were uh, bullies or were indifferent or just didn't have anything to do with me because I was different as a kid, but they're now there celebrating my community because they get it. And there's nothing greater in the world than that. Everybody wants that. So when you get to, and I I love some of my friends are like, "Uh, I have a queer kid. I have some questions. Can we go to lunch? I'm like, yes, it will be uncomfortable. We will discuss things you don't want to have and you're going to have to deal with it. And it's always fun because these kids are like, they're going to ask anything. And then my poor friends from high school, they're like, (laughs) it's always the best. I had a wonderful experience like that when one of my neighbor's daughters, she was 13, she came over to my house and we were best buds. She would just come over, watch the boys with me, or we'd go on road trips together so she could help me with the boys when they were little. And I will never forget she came into the kitchen and she sat up on the counter and she said, I have a couple questions for you. And I'm like, okay. She said, but they're about sex. And I said, okay. She said, they might make you uncomfortable. And I said, yeah, they'll probably make me uncomfortable. And that's why you have to ask me because if I'm uncomfortable yeah. sharing it, you're uncomfortable asking it. I would rather you find out from me. Yeah. And she was like, and she asked me some very uncomfortable <laughs> questions but it was that's exactly right and go to somebody that you trust ask some questions or i think one of the things that um i struggled with when i was in australia so i was a study abroad student in australia and as even though we speak the same language we often don't speak the same language and there were a couple of incidents where like um uh, for instance people don't root for a team in australia because rooting is- is having sex in Australia. That's the slang for having sex is rooting. And um, I will never forget standing around talking to a bunch of college students with in my, in my area. And I was talking about the Denver Broncos and how my former roommate was a huge fan and she'd go to every game and root for the team. And somebody said the whole team. (laughs) And of course, I got very popular oh, with the boys when I said, I got very popular with the boys when I said, well, of course, you can't root for just one. Oh, <laughs> so, that's, that's perfect. Thank that goodness. Is so awesome. One of my friends pulled me aside because I'm like all everyone, their mouth is open. And I'm thinking, what did I say? I had no idea. And luckily, I did. And then once you found out, you're like, mm, she might have. But <laughs> <laughs> I I thought it was hilarious. I wasn't embarrassed at all. Um, but I I was lucky enough to have a friend that I trusted that said, uh, that's I, I'm pretty sure that's not what you thought you said. <laughs> it was it was a pretty funny conversation. But yes, very much so. ask questions. I love that. Yeah. So let's um, let's come full circle to your um the the beginning of our conversation about going to Japan at 10, 11 years old performing, singing solos, being taller than everybody, and how that helps you relate to people now. When you think about um, how you want to be experienced by the people around you, especially when it comes to this really important race that you are a candidate for, um, what? how do you want to be experienced by people? And and yeah, let's let's just start with that. Um, well, one of the things that I really focus on in my campaign, and this is kind of true in life, I want to make sure that I am uh, obviously visibly who I am. But on top of that, I also want to be approachable and I want people to come and ask me questions, talk to me, bring their stories, whatever it is that they have to do. Not because I think it's a, you know, a requirement that they have to tell me something, but I want them to feel like they can if they need to. Um, you know, when it comes to being the only person in the room that is something um 
that can be really stressful for a lot of people. I don't have that anymore. I'm like, oh, I'm the only person in this room who's queer. So be it. I'm the only person in the room who's fat. So be it. I'm the only person in the room who's yelled at the city government in front of everybody else. So be it. You know, whatever it is that I'm the only person that did. Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I want everybody else to know that, you know, you can be that person too. You can do all the things that I do. Nothing I do is magic. Um, But when it comes to, me being out in front of people, if you want to talk, absolutely, let's talk. Yesterday, I happened to be up in Great Falls. I got a call a week ago um, from the Libertarian Central Committee up there. They were like, hey, can you come up and talk to us? And I was like, okay, odd, but yeah, sure. And these are people I don't share a lot of politics with. And I was scheduled to be there for an hour, you know, do a little introduction, maybe take a couple questions. Um, So I did my little introduction. We ended up talking for two and a half hours. And there wasn't a lot of contention that was going on. We were finding common ground on a lot of the issues. And there's some things where what I think is really funny is on the issues that I am absolutely adamant on, which are abortion rights and queer rights, uh, I will not find common ground with bigots and misogynists. Sorry, it's not going to happen. I didn't have to with them because they agree. And everything else is negotiable. Everything else we can make steps towards making it better so it works better for people so that it more aligns with everybody's outlook. That's fine. Um, and so it was a really, really good conversation. And it was really nice to meet these people that, you know, they've been marginalized by the Republican Party. They've been marginalized by the Democratic Party. They've been marginalized by all of the political realms because they're kind of their own little thing. Great. But they're also people. And there are viewpoints. I don't agree with a lot of them, but they're still valid viewpoints. And I want them to come and be able to talk to me because I'm running to represent all Montanans, not just the ones I agree with, mostly because I'm pretty sure I don't agree with any Montanan 100% of the time. You have to be able to you have to be able to deal with people that you disagree with. And I know I grew up in a Republican household, but I, you know, was grew up in a Republican household that taught me that diversity and uh, extra cultures and all the things that are different from you are valid and worth engaging with and are awesome. So I took that to heart and I'm putting that in everything. And there are plenty of people in the state that uh, don't like my politics and don't like me. Um, but I had a great interaction on Twitter. I got to share this with you because I just started going to the gym again. Yay. Um, and my, my accountability is when I go to the gym, I take a picture, I put it online and then let people know. And it's not because I'm trying to show off. It's because the hardest part of going to the gym is actually going to the gym. Once you're there, it's easy. Right. Um, but it's real easy to drive past. And so, you know, you show up and people can see when you're there and, um, you know, there are a bunch of people that I consider Twitter trolls, and they are. They're terrible people. Everything I talk about in politics, they hate, they call me names, it's terrible. But I posted this, and every single one of them was like, you know, we don't disagree, but good on you for getting to the gym. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and so there is common ground, even with people that you would like to take a mallet to, to see if their heads actually <laughs> are empty. Um, so Tuning fork. You, exactly. But it comes, it comes back to the uh, you know, ingrained belief that everybody has value, no matter how much you don't understand them, you don't have to understand them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's one of the things that I wish more Republicans would get. I wish they had a broader view, could see more of the world, could understand how much beauty is out there that has nothing to do with the culture they were raised in, has nothing to do with the expectations and norms that they were raised in, has everything to do with there's just different things that are awesome. And that lack of understanding, that lack of connection, that lack of the ability to go out and see those things, it deadens them in a way that is distressing and you know there's so much beauty in the world and you know how how politics can get really ugly (laughs) trust me i get it Mm -hmm. but when it comes to culture and integration and talking to people and uh, trying new things and seeing new places and things and and getting a different understanding for how they interact with the world around them how they see things makes it so much easier to go back to your own culture and see all the good in it too Mm-hmm. and makes you want to expand that. Like, I want to expand the good in my culture, but one of the things that I think is good in my culture, especially the queer culture, is that we're pretty accepting of everybody else because we, again, we intersect with everybody else. We go through, you know, whether you're rich or poor, or black, white, Asian, whatever, there's queers. <laughs> we're everywhere. Um, no matter what Putin says, we're there. Uh, so 
having that ability, knowing that there's a part of my community that is a part of this other culture means that there's a bridge already there. So I can learn more. I can, I can, we can build the rest of the bridges that go across things. And I want more people to know that more people to experience that because when you have understanding, it's great. But when you just simply have empathy, it's so much better than when you don't. You don't have to understand everything about somebody's lives. And this is one of the things that you need to tell people when they're dealing with the trans community. I don't understand everything about being trans because I'm not trans. I have a lot of trans friends. I have a ton in my community, obviously. And there are plenty of times where I screw up. However, mm-hmm. Because I have empathy towards them, I do not get in trouble for my screw-ups. I get educated and helped, and we make things better. And that comes from my ability to say two words that a lot of people just really cannot get out of their tongue. It's just, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And it's it's meaningful. It's meant. It's honest. It's what I am at that time. I'm sorry. I didn't know I did this. I didn't know this was going to happen. And it's magic. Like there is a moment when you're dealing with another culture where when they ask you a question and, or you say something and you step in something and you go, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for that to happen. Can you show me what you expect? Can you show me what you'd like to see? And then they not only get to, which is really them showing off their culture in the best way. They also get to explain why it's there. And that spark of understanding just steps in and you're like, oh, things can be so much better. So yeah, it's like yeah, everybody should go on a choir tour when they're nine and, you know, hit Japan <laughs> when they're 10. For sure. Well, I think every every person should have to um, be a server at a restaurant for at least six months, maybe a year. Every oh, person absolutely. should have at least six months of retail experience. Uh, they're, everybody they're should have of... to wrap presents at Christmas at a Macy's. Oh, that is hard work. <laughs> yeah, just take a day and do that. You will never be Thankless. a Karen again. Right. Seriously. Oh. Well, um, this has been so great, Kev. I'm so glad that you agreed to be on the podcast and share all of your stories. Not all of your stories. You have millions more, but... <laughs> sharing so many good stories. And for our listeners, uh, don't worry about pausing the podcast to jot anything down. All of Kev's links um, will be on the show notes associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. So you'll be able to see his, um, what his candidacy is all about, um, what the pride parade and celebrations are all about. I, I love the former felons ball because I think it's hilarious, the name of it. And um, just briefly, can you just briefly tell our audience why you do the former felons ball? Um, yeah, well, because there was the deviant sexual acts law was enshrined in Montana sometime in the teens, I believe. And it basically, it, it lumped being queer with bestiality, rape, all these other things. And, um, Grison v. Montana, which is uh, Linda Grison and her partner and several other people sued the state of Montana to have this law invalidated, went to the state Supreme Court in 1997 and was invalidated. Um, and But it was still on the books. So they celebrated that by we're now former felons because being gay was a felony. Um, so we've had that since I think the first one was in 97 or 98. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been doing that ever since this year. It's on February 24th, and we have 14 different events at 13 different venues, all wow. happening on Saturday. We've got two story hours, uh, four drag shows, one of which is all ages in the afternoon. We've got uh, game day. We've got all the different ways. So we're basically we're playing, we're, we're showing the movie Clue at the Windsor. Um, we're also playing a giant game of Clue where you can go around to the different venues and roll your dice and see what clues you get. And you can find out who uh, the murderer was, what weapon they used, and what room it was in. So <laughs> oh, that it'll be exciting fun. and fun. I love it. That sounds great. So all of those links will be on the show notes associated with this podcast episode, again, at elkinsconsulting.com. Kev, thanks again for joining me on this podcast. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. I love it. And I'm sure our listeners will have a different perspective on their experience with you, whether they've met you or not. So thank you. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much. Have a great one. You too. Listeners, now it's your turn. Are you going to go explore a culture 
that you haven't explored before as a result of hearing this conversation? I know I'm going to, and it could be just down the street. I have friends who are, um, they own a, a Cuban restaurant in town. They are originally from Cuba. I have met them. I've spent time with them, but I'm not sure I've explored their culture quite enough yet. I could even go to one of the upcoming powwow adventures. Um, I would love to do that with one of my friends from one of the tribes. I'm going to do that this year. And I hope listeners that you will find a culture you're unfamiliar with somewhere within a few hours of your home and go explore it. Your mind and your heart will be better for it. Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.